Darkly, what a bad that effort. Leipzig comes through. He's got another one. Just add it to the reel. Liba. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that wants to know, is Jamara still not ready? My name is Matthew Donald and I have Nicolia with me as I do every other week. And if you're unsure about Jamara's readiness, uh, be sure to subscribe to our podcast where we can reveal the answer at a later date. You'll be able to search for the Salty Bulldog podcast wherever you get your podcasts regularly, including Apple and Spotify. You can also check out our social media outlets, including Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website as well. So for Twitter, at the Salty Bulldog, for Facebook, the Salty Bulldog, Instagram, the.salty.bulldog, and our website, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Nick, do you have the answer? Is Jamar not ready still? Well, I was tempted when I you know, had, had a chance to put up the tweeter there for the Salty Bulldog, of course, you know, already kicking his first goal. And I'm sure I'm glad you put up the, the chosen one meme. Fantastic mm-hmm. meme, that is. I was really tempted to make mention of, you know, one goal down, Coleman on the way. But I didn't want to get ahead of myself in that regard. But no, it was nice to see. So, of course, someone played a bit of um, a bit of trumps with it, you know, making mention of a particular key forward that was goalless against the Swans on, on their debut. And then a week later, they kicked three goals. And Uh-oh. that person happened to be Lance Buddy Franklin as well back in 2005. So that was not, not obviously there's nothing there, but I'm just stating it's a bit interesting. Yeah, that was round one and then round two, 2005. Um, Buddy kicked what, 20 goals in 20 games or something like that, give or take. I wouldn't hear the numbers. Something would, along those lines, but yeah, it's interesting to see. I remember they did something similar because there's been major comparisons between Jamara and Buddy. There's also been comparisons between Jamara and Jack Watts. Now, I remember very vaguely they did the same sort of thing when Watts started and struggled early in his career. And they said, well, here are, the, here are some of the great key forwards that uh, struggled, you know, in their first couple of games. And they had Nick Revolt, I think Jonathan Brown. I don't think Jonathan Brown had a touch in his first game. And Warren Treadray was another. And I can't remember who the other one would have been. It wouldn't have been Franklin then. No. Um, but it just goes to show that, that this is the key forward struggling is, is nothing new. So if, no, if Jamar has a quiet game this week, then it's it's nothing to be concerned about. I think we, we should got, trade him then. We should, I, trade I him. we should trade him for that Dunkley bloke. At oh, wait, no, Dunkley stayed with us, didn't he? That's the positive <laughs> thing. It did. We'll, we'll, we'll get to Jamara later. And because there is... Nick, this, this is unbelievable. I feel like I say this every week, and I don't like saying this, but there is just so much to get through that there is that much we've got to get through it's going to be a jam-packed episode we're going to try and get dare, through dare i say what luke darcy does say that again say that again jam-packed episode so much to get through there's almost, almost too much to get through in under an hour is but it we'll strawberry with... jam i hope it is I'd much rather strawberry jam matt's absolutely confused at this point yeah in time i now. am i don't know what he is but i like the strawberry to? jam i enjoy okay. this okay well we'll get started with the big news on everyone's lips uh, 
sleeve Hall of Fame nominations. And unfortunately, there, haven't, there hasn't been any this week. Couldn't find anything. So no new nominations this week. I was, I was tempted to, to go, go big last week and say, anyone that wears sleeves on the Gold Coast is, a, is an automatic legend of the Hall of Fame wearing sleeves up on the coast. That must be... That is, that is pretty interesting. That's very, very much um, taking the challenge up to it, isn't it? There? Yeah. You're not too bad, though, but it'd be very strange. I swear that they had... Um, I swear that there was a little segment um, on the dog's Twitter where they had Luke Beveridge wearing sleeves. Did he? He didn't play in two thousand. No, he didn't did play. He? But it was interesting to see them bring that up, though. So clearly, the uh, the sleeve hall of fame is uh, is making its way it's around the you know catch the Twitter sphere. Yes, it is. Uh, well, that that was I didn't put that out there, but I was I was tempted to to go with it, but it doesn't matter because no one no one wore the sleeves. But we're still looking for nominations. So anyone, if you if you come across anything, let us know, and and we'll we'll have a look and uh, and we'll go from there. But that's that's the big news. That we've got to got to get out of the way. We we always like to get started with the the big hard hitting journalism. That's what we're all about here at the Salty Bulldog. Hard hitting all rounders as well. <laughs> let's get on to the football. Right? Some of the some of the better news to come out of the, the weekend. But really, the more I think about it, this was the only good piece of information to come out of this weekend. Everything else was just a bit of a disaster, really. So the Bulldogs maintaining a perfect interstate record. Fancy fancy saying that. Fancy ever thinking five that and that. oh this year in that five and oh. Is that our last interstate game of the year? No, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to see. Of course, um, obviously, this is forget the idea of the COVID reshuffling fixture, whenever that, that is. But as of yet, there is still the was it the Launceston game? Yep. And potentially there might be trips again, but we don't know that. But there might be trips again. All that. So, All what states are in lockdown at this current point in time, uh, other than us and New South Wales? I, I think that's it. I think that's it for the moment. I don't think okay. there's any other states in lockdown. Uh, I don't know about restrictions. Mm. There may be, mm. you know, restrictions here and there. But in terms of a major lockdown, well, there were crowds at Adelaide. There were crowds at Perth. Uh, there were crowds up on the Gold Coast. I wonder, so, though, because I'm trying to figure this out here, too. Um, what do you think about this particular proposition that's from the armchair experts, you know, Adam Cooney and Cam Luke. Cam Luke brought up the idea of saying, look, the East Coast is a bit of a, let's, let's say in particular choice of words, it's gone AWOL at this point in time. Mm-hmm. He was suggesting the idea of bringing forward the, the pre-finals by to this week to give the season a chance to breathe. I don't mind that idea. We might get to that a little later, though, um, because mm. we do yes, have. We should we talk do, about that. Yeah, but I so, wonder. That's not a bad idea, as far as it, I think. There is a, there is a way to bring that up later in our in our discussions. Let's talk football first. So the Bulldogs up on the Gold Coast, 11-13-79. 11 point win for the Bulldogs. I felt a little more comfortable than that, uh, though. Don't think I don't feel like it was that close. Although after seeing the first three goals of the game, we did quite well. To, to push ahead and get the win. Put us temporarily on top. We're now just two points behind Melbourne on top spot. They've got that draw against Hawthorne, which oh, and that was, that was, I was, oh, I haven't barracked for Hawthorne quite so hard in quite a long time, I don't think. Uh, but anyway, for the Bulldogs, goal scorers, Eugle Hagen leading the way with three goals. Eagle game high, three goals, and uh, equal most marks. Also, 11. 50. 11 times he was targeted inside 50. So that's plus four on last week's tally. 
Uh, McRae with a couple of goals as well. Good on you, Jacko. And back to his uh, back to his ways winning the, the football. So he kicked two goals in a row. Johannesson also kicked a couple. Uh, Cody Wayman, you can add another two to the reel. He also got a brace. Uh, and then McNeil, Daniel, English, Bruce, and Norton each getting goals. In terms of the disposals, Bontempelli very close to a career best 36 disposals. Bailey Smith has actually been in pretty good run of form the last month, Nick. I'd say three out of his last four yes, games have been very good. Starting to come back a bit. We'll three. see how they balance it out though with, oh, with Dunkley and Entralor eventually again and Libba returning, how they okay. adjust these midfield minutes or center square minutes, anyways. McRae, as we said, 31 disposals, and we're keeping track on his record. He broke it. Not the top 10. We've been on the top 10 for a while. The fastest man to get 5,000 disposals. He did it mm. in 176 league games. It broke the record held by Greg Williams, who did it in 178. So can big congratulations. Get, can, he get to 6, 000, can he get to 6,000 in the next 24 games? 1,000 disposals in 24 games. Yes, I don't think that actually. I want to see what that equals. That would, the hell of it. No, the, he, I don't think he's, he's not going to do that. that. It, he no. needs to, can he average? Can he average 41.66? Like Across a whole season? I, he, I guess a whole season. I don't know. Well, this, Why there's do... records meant to be broken, you know. Libba's still on track for, or at least I think he is, he was still on track for the 200 clearances in a season, which only Brett Ratton has done. Why Why 1,000 in, in, why th- uh, thousand oh, in 24 got, games? I don't know. Just because for the heck of it, you know, 6,000 sounds nice. And, well, there's 24 games to get to, to see him bring it up then. Just needs to average 41.66 per game. Uh, other players who fell quite who fell a little just a little bit short of, of matching that average of 41 disposals. Bailey Dale got another 30, that included 20 kicks uh, for him. Hunter with 27 disposals, Daniel with 23, Dunkley had 16 to half time, finished with 21 in uh, just a five after half time. But I think that's to be expected, and we'll we'll talk a bit more about Dunkley later. Mm. Nick, how much of this game did you see? I was able to watch a fair, or probably the whole portion of it, which is quite nice. You know, the stream didn't cut out. Um, oh. you, you made mention before about they probably arguably could have won by a little bit more. At times, it felt like we did, and at times, it felt like we are just hanging on by the skin of our teeth, particularly towards the end. But it's, it's different. You know, the, the last 10, 15 minutes of the match was quite poor, and the first 10, 15 minutes of the match was, uh, was quite poor and over half. So what's that? That's five goals in that half an hour stretch across the game. And what the Suns kick overall? What was it? Uh, 11? 11 13. So we've Thank conceded, you, 11, the, conceded the first three goals of the game, and mm-hmm. we built up a 28 point lead at one stage in the last quarter. Yes. So, so that's we've five cons- goals for them in, I said, in that respective 15 minutes at the end and 15 minutes at the, at the start. So that's the better part of only six goals in the remaining, I don't know, 90 ish, which is not bad at all, actually. No. Considering we we're under the for, for large portions of the game, we're quite under the pump. In, would this surprise you here, though? According to the champion data statistics, it says that we actually should have lost. And we kicked three goals more than we should have. And the Suns uh, ended up kicking one goal less than they should have. So it should have been a two-goal loss, apparently, not a not a two-goal win. That is a little interesting. I didn't think we were at our best, but I did think we were still the better side. Our best patches were better, yes. But yeah. I think they had more. they had more of those patches. It's just our quality was more visible in our ones, I think. Do you reckon the reason for that was, we often speak about the quality, particularly going forward. I thought we were a bit better this week. We weren't quite so wasteful. 
you speak about wasteful. That's a very interesting point there. You, you remember how I brought up to you that we're, we're pretty dreadful when it comes to goals, you know, within zero to 15 metres or even up to the, to the 30 metre mark. Heart and mouth? 40, 40 metres. So we're pretty good actually above 50, but we only had the one goal beyond 50 and only the one chance to be fair. But uh, the interesting that was, part uh, is here. Was that, was that the chosen one? That probably is the chosen one. What a great name, the chosen one. I, I saw the... someone someone on Twitter. I think he's, his name is Jamara Yugal Hull because he's a fan of the, the soccer side Hull City. His avatar is is of the, the chosen one. Actually, oh, the, so, so anyone who knows the Salty Bulldog will know all about the chosen one. So you've got uh, Jam- Jamara the Stonecutter. <laughs> Bevo, Bonds, Liver, and Trelaw, just just in complete awe of this of this guy. Someone's taken. It... Oh god, Someone... I've got. A, I have no idea who it was, but I have to thank that person for that meme last uh, last October. That was beautiful. Seriously, that's which, seriously which one? too good. That particular, the chosen meme, oh, the, the stone cutters. The, the, yeah, whoever, whoever made that, absolute yeah. genius. Even the Sam Power content that they started making last year too. It's a, it's incredible. Whoever it is, <laughs> but um. Now, so just finishing off here, I think we apparently, pleasingly, so obviously zero to 40 metres is still a fair bit of a distance, but it's not been our strength this year. Beyond 40 and especially beyond 50, we've been quite good in terms of accuracy. So we featured with, what, eight goals, one. Eight goals, one, and, you know, between 15 and 40, it was 7-1. That is well, not that, bad that's, for us. That's good. By our standards, that's, in, well, by anyone's standard, that's incredible, but for us, it's like, it's absolutely amazing and bewildering to say the least so it was a, it was a yeah, fairly accurate day that. like i mean yeah, if you're nine, you nine one on set shot for the dogs five five for the suns and 14 14 six all up on the scoreboard is is pretty good too you take that most days that's interesting how does that happen so there must have been a few were there any rush behinds how many players kicked behinds for us actually because it says we've got nine one on the set three one on the snap and two on the run and then one from a, a mark and play on so Which one way? behind to Johannesson, that was a general play. Um, mm-hmm. One behind to Bruce, I'm pretty sure that was a set shot. One to English as well. I couldn't tell you how we kicked that. That's interesting. That's strange. I can't think of it, unless we had three rush behinds, but that's it's not that important. But yeah, no. we'll just how, go from this. Speaking of importance, because we've recognized it over the past two seasons and it's only become fairly evident after he's come back into the side following a poor run of form from the team, how important is it to win that game without Tom Liberatore, who was managed out of the side? No no injury that we're aware of, but probably carrying a few knocks and is given a week just to sort of rest up. And there'll be questions on on that sort of, uh, that, that sort of avenue and pathway for players a little later on. But how important is it to win without him? It's still one player, but he is a very, very important player. And everyone knows that. And I'm sure for this season, or as evident by our Salty Bulldog Player of the Year ratings, he's, what, sitting in the top three or such there? He was third. So he was, he was third. third. Thank you. Sort of one of those ones so, sort of one of those ones where if you miss a game, it makes it very hard to yeah, win yeah. it. Yeah, in this case, it does. It's very, very tight at the top for ours. And I'm sure that'll be the case for the Charles Sutton. He's definitely obviously going to lock up a top 10 spot and even a top five. Oh, easy, easy, easy. Mm. A couple of players will probably dropping out of that, but yeah, we've made, made mention of him being, you know, somewhat of the, you know, the heart and soul type of the team. And some games, it's more evident that he is that than than the others. Um, I don't think we completely missed him on the weekend, but it would have been nice to have had him, just to add a bit more, yep. 
assurance and um, a bit of stability to that midfield mix, which is starting to ironically at the same time um, refining its identity once again, you know, whether it's certain players featuring a lot more there and, and such. But I mean, even with Daniel too playing up on the on the wing, which is weird, but I like it too. We want to see him play higher up the ground, but mm. now with Liver, do we? It's it's good to see. I don't mind seeing him play a bit higher, Daniel. But I think it's I think I've probably come to the conclusion now, maybe the importance of, of considering how our midfield is going now with certain players that are, you know, taking their game to another level, you know, and finding targets inside 50, that we can probably get away with him being now genuinely full-time more as that defensive mid type player instead of that mid forward type. And he hasn't played a lot of mid forward in recent years. But no, that was know, more always how he been started, that, wasn't yeah, it? There's always been that idea of, you know, do we eventually throw him back onto that though? That I don't think that's even required anymore. I've Genuinely, been, even even for short bursts. I've never been against it because I think the hardest kick. I mean, everyone everyone's entitled to their opinion. Some say the hardest kick is the kick out of defence. I, I argue that the hardest kick is is the one into the forward line hitting a target. And especially you want, in this, especially in this, this outfit, yeah. And you want your best. <laughs> You want your best kicks pulling that one off. And Daniel is our best kick by far and away. Hmm. He uses the angles perfectly, doesn't he? Yeah. Probably more uh, so than, than many other players. Turns the even the low percentage kicks, like you see it with Dan, uh, Daniel Rich as well, um, turning a 20% kick into a 30%er. I don't know how they tend to do that, but it's interesting. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And I, it's, so I, that's why I wouldn't be against somebody like. Caleb playing a little further up the ground and having those that ability to go forward. But at the same time, I don't mind him down back either because he's, his importance, well, I mean, he won the best and fairest last year playing down back. That gives you an idea of just how important he is to the side. Um, there was a couple of the other things I'm sure I wanted to go through. The, the defense. Got to talk about the defense, the back six or back seven, however you want to call it. Trying to understand what was going on early, particularly in the first part of that. Uh, what the what the lack of communication, working out who's spoiling what or who's meant to be going up for a particular ball. Yeah. That was quite strange, I tell you. What was going on there? Because I saw there was three separate instances during the game. I saw, I think the first one I saw was Cordy going for a spoil, not getting enough of it and resulting in a goal. The second one was uh, Rourke Smith, who did the same thing. And then the third one was Ed Richards, who in the third quarter did it again. And there was a fourth one, surely. There was another one um, with, I'm sure, Hayden Crozier and Cordy. They just saw the ball went back oh, over the top four. Yeah. So there's four instances there. And it's not just a misjudgment. Some of it's either said communication issue or just, just being too much under the ball and not um, you know, judging the the flight of it correctly. So I don't know what in God's name was happening there. There was that Richards one, for instance, that you brought up there. Yeah. That was, I thought that should have clearly been a, a one for Keith to, to go in for it. So I had no idea what Richards was doing going for that ball. Well, I don't have a problem with Richards going for the ball and trying to spoil it, but he, he's got to do it properly. He just didn't get enough on it. And if you, if you go for the ball in that instance, because he, le- he leaves his opponent to go and get the ball, um, and you, you just can't do that. You can't go for the ball and miss it. 
you've got to get something on the ball. You, you've certainly got to get more onto it than, than what he did because otherwise you're just asking to concede a goal. And they can and they coughed up way too many of those. Way too many. Know, it just looked like they didn't... Probably at least like half a dozen in that sense. It looked like they hadn't played together as a group. That's what it looked like. I don't know. Like you've, It's not a different setup that we've seen. You know, because for the most part, a lot of those blokes are, are playing down there, but there's still a lot of fellas that are that aren't what you would say defensively in in the soundest of form. You know, Crozier has had a very indifferent season, probably since that's a particular knock that he suffered probably from last year, because he's had a fantastic back half of 2018 and a very, very good 2019. Last year he was promising and he had a lot of good signs and it just started to taper off. This year has been well below what we've come to expect from him. Richards, so what are they done? They've played him in the back half in recent weeks too for that yeah. for that particular speed. There's been the reshuffle of of JJ, you know, playing a lot higher up or playing as a small forward now instead of that half back role. Daniel now featuring a lot higher up the ground too. Hmm. There seems to be a lot. And, and then, the only real, the only real stable presences, of course, have been Duray, Keith, and then Cordy in that sense now. Isn't and it? then on the flip side, you've got Dale down there who hasn't played down back up until this no. year. No, uh, you've got, well. he's done very well. You've got Williams as well. You mentioned Williams. Certainly no, in the last I, couple I, of I seasons. got over him, yes. That's all right. Yeah, that, he's been. And even he, Wood too, not but, there for this season. So there's a lot of leadership play, uh, types that aren't exactly there per se, would you think? Uh, well, uh, in terms I, of general I, I, think, I think Keith has leadership. I think Keith is the leader down there, and I think you've got to follow his lead. I think if, if Keith says, leave it, it's mine, I think you, you you leave it. He's been very good this year, Keith. And he's one of those players. I mean, we talk about important players and we talk about Liberatore. Obviously, there's Bontempelli. Uh, we got Norton's impact on the side that was clearly evident last week when he wasn't there against Sydney. But Keith is one of those players that if he goes down, we're in a lot of trouble. Mm. Yep, you made mention the... of it in your in your ratings yeah. and I'm certainly going to make mention of it in my lessons. And I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago too, but We're, my God, it's a, it'll be a disaster if something happens to him. Oh, yeah. Disaster is the word. I mean, I would go so far as to say we cannot win the flag without him. Yeah. Cannot win. Still the, yeah, there's still question marks with him and he, not because of him, but just with him in general. Oh, but yeah, you're right. You'd oh, have to. Well, there's to question marks. Out. Yeah. There's question marks with the defense, even when he's down there. Yeah. But if, if he is not there, that defence cannot be sustainable. You can't you need win to a premiership bring back Dal Morris then somehow. It's yeah. Reincarnate him. Oh. I do still think it's. I still much. still do think it's just one defender. It's it's not it's not a whole. It's not like we've got oh, we've got to, we've got Keith. We've got to find five new defenders to put down there. It's I think it's just one key back that's that's the difference between these questions. Persisting every week and the question's not even being asked at all. But it makes such a big difference. They've got to they've got to figure out something before they get to the finals because mm. I don't think this defensive setup that they've got now is is sustainable anyway. That, no, that's one of the questions we've got from on Twitter, which we will get to a little bit later. But um but yeah, we've made mention of it as well earlier this season. A combination of what Gardner has, a combination of what Lewis Young has, and a combination of what Zane Cordy has to offer would make a pretty good defender. It's just a shame that they're all split into three different players. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point because they've all got their uses, haven't they? 
Indeed. You know, you have good closing speed, you have good coverage in the air, or at least the ability to back themselves in the air and a bit of height. And you've got the, the combativeness and aggression that Cordy provides. So, yeah, there's a lot of good traits. It's just the rest of it that comes to offer. Yeah. That, that isn't there. Cordy, um, I don't want to go on too much about Cordy. He needs to learn how to start next to his opponent, not five meters away from should, him. Should, there should there strap were, him. There were too many times... I'm not going to go on the rant that I did earlier this year, but there were too many times, like in that game against Richmond, where his starting position was so far away from his opponent. He's already out of the contest before the contest even starts. Got to, got to learn to be close to your man. There were too many times on the weekend where his man took an easy mark because he had separation, easy separation. Didn't have to work hard for it. It just... It, the ball was the ball was kicked there, and then there was just this separation, and I don't know how that happens, but that's that's a real concern. And ninety games in 90, 96 or ninety seven games in his career, and we're seeing the same sorts of things that we were seeing in game fifty. But you'd have to suspect it's clearly an instruction of sorts to, you know, well, to be playing a, a bit more attacking. But it's just interesting that he's the player to do that. Well, here's a here's another thing. I was listening to the radio a couple of weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure it was Craig Jennings who uh, he's fantastic. talking about. Yeah, he was people talking about listen to, listen to him, not just you, but people out there listen to Craig Jennings, fantastic football analyst. And he said something about he was, I think he was down in the rooms one day with the Bulldogs when Beveridge was coaching a few years ago. Um, and he was talking about the defensive setup for the Bulldogs because obviously they, they talk about that a lot because it's a, it's a big issue with, with particularly with this, this group at the moment. And he said that he'll, and Craig Jennings spoke about Beveridge's idea in terms of. A defensive setup and he believes that it's not just the back six that it's a it's a team defense so all 18 players form a defense if that makes sense and the idea of a, a defender take Cordy for example being beaten in a marking contest or in a, in a one-on-one contest uh won't won't upset beverage just on its own so I mean, let's let take any instance that you want of Cordy being out of position or outmarked or outclassed at the weekend. And that on itself is not something that the beverage would um, be disappointed in Cordy about. So if something like that happens, beverage would then look to, well, was the midfield doing its job of applying defensive pressure? And yes, the answer is... a certain is, player at a, at a right spot at the contest yes. where they open up one half of the ground. And you, you likewise, not just Cordy, but even the you know, those... Frightening moments where we'd see Caleb Daniel playing on Jared Ruffett a couple of years ago. Yeah. Or, or, oh God. But that's so, the yeah. sort of thing where Beveridge wouldn't go. What's Caleb doing in that instance? He would now, say. What's the reason for yeah. that happening? How how does it how does it get there in the first place? Like, how does it yes. get to Hawthorne's half forward yeah. line from the yeah. wing, from half back, from yeah. full back? Yeah. And that's I don't. Oh, we we all we all know this too, but it's good to see Jennings bringing that up. Yeah. But it's. It's not said in a reactive sense. Like, what, what do we do? How, how do we fix this? It's more for the idea of saying it's still proactive in, in the way of saying this shouldn't be happening because this is what is meant to happen. In terms yeah, of saying this is what we're meant to be doing. This is going away from our structures, not in the sense of we should never let this, um, not in the sense of um, okay, how do we prevent that from happening as a contingency plan? The first, op- the first option is to say be more accountable in our sense, not for covering up those flaws there by putting, say, a better key defender there because that might weaken another spot on the other yeah. ground, which means you're being more defensive-minded than you know, attacking-minded. And that's always been the case even last year too, where we were one of the better um, defensive sides 
that had the attacking mindset. And we've got that mindset too this year. We've just progressed more from a, a defensive um, ball movement side to an offensive team. You know, where a lot of the scoring is now coming in the forward half of the ground and it's not as reliant on, you know, back half rebound and such. Last year, was a, we were fantastic at that. And, and even Geelong too, that was one of their problems a couple of years ago. They were too defensive minded in their scoring or from where they were scoring from with their options. Last year it turned into more of a forward setup. So yeah. and that's something we've got a better a better balance this year. Yeah, you've seen less of those those disastrous types of contests, haven't we? You know, we haven't seen the likes so, of yeah. Daniel being mismatched or or Daniel Dale or Max Gorn or whoever God's da- name Daniel is. on Hawkins. Yeah, we've yeah, not the seen There's been those. less of those, which yeah. is really, really pleasing. But you still it's still not quite there. But I think in terms of how do we fix it, they know how to, they don't know how to fix it, they know how to prevent it. But it's done in a proactive way, yeah. not, in, not in a reactive manner. But it requires the rest of the team, the midfield group, the forward group, mm. to prevent Cordy being mm. in a situation where he's isolated and loses separation. Just mm. wanted to bring that up because I don't yeah. want to just go all in on all in on Cordy. I sort of want want to no. acknowledge that there's no. that there's a team aspect to mm. this as well. And more for that, more for that too, because you bring up the team aspect and you mentioned the eighteen man defense or you know, zonal defense. That's why we get such congested particular entries as well, because we're having all the forwards come up higher up to the ground to be able to, to say, keep the ball in those particular spots too. And that allows with extra numbers being around the ball, or at least as, you know, a secondary option, which helps us then do our handball wave game, you know, because we've got all these players in close vicinity and that's how we move the ball best. So there's more space in the full line. The problem is there's barely anyone there. When we kick it forward, that's the issue. Yeah. But in terms of our best style, what helps us out, that's the way to go about it. If we try to do a more you know, natural flow of having the traditional six forwards and six mids, sure, we'd win the midfield battle, but probably one-on-one in the forward half, that probably won't do as well as we could. Yeah. And then the ball would just come right out, depending on how quick our forwards are, how zippy they are at ground level. And that's probably why they've got the players like, Garcia and Waitman and more so, especially now, you know, and you probably even see another player and why they persisted with Hannon for, for so long, because generally he's had quite good with his pressure racks. It's just the other parts of his game haven't the been awarded or he hasn't, or he hasn't yet the output side of things. But because um, he's meant to be apparently one of the quickest on the list. We've only got about maybe half a dozen players that you would classify as genuinely quick. So that's probably why they speaking of, a bit. Speaking of Hannon and output, not necessarily two words have gone hand in hand this year. No, he's but, been fired away, hasn't he, this yeah. time? Hannon's replacement. <laughs> Hannon's replacement. Uh, the guy that you'd think were sort of taking up Hannon's roles at third tool, Jamari Hagen, three goals. Um, we spoke about it a bit at the top of the show. Um, still trying to figure out, is he ready? Isn't he ready? Uh, I, I was really happy with the way he played because it was more than the three goals. It was his ability to get involved in scoring chains, particularly in the first half. Was it five? Was it five scoring involvements or something like that? I think. Give so it was take. five, might, five score involvements. Oh, there you go. Possible, possible dumb question. Do his goals count as score involvements? I'm not going to say that's a dumb question. Cause I don't know the answer to that, to be honest, okay. but I'd like to think they probably would. Okay. But it doesn't matter. Cause at least he's featured in a scoring chain. He just happens to be the one that finishes it off. Again, we don't we don't know the proper answer to this. No. But there were some parts towards the back half of the game where he sort of overran the ball, and that's probably more over committing to it. 
which yep. shows that his intensity and hunger is there. It's just the that finite touch, you know, tempering it just just yeah, a little bit, tempering. just a little yeah. bit. It seems like he was not desperate to be involved, but there was a definite desire to to, to want to be or to have the ball come his way. He just just overran the blasted thing, and could have proved costly at times. But you'd rather someone not be timid going for the ball. Yeah, in that sense. There were a and few just wish times, he picked it up cleanly. <laughs> I saw it early as, as well. Uh, and I often do the comparison. Where have I seen this sort of stuff from a key forward before? He gets nudged under the ball a bit or was a little bit early on. Another key forward, I hate to say this, because this is something that, that I thought Liam Jones did a lot in when he was playing as a forward with the Bulldogs. he get nudged under the ball quite easily as well. I will say in, in, in fairness to, to Jones... Uh, when Liam Jones had his breakout season, he had he had help. He had Barry Hall down there for most of the season, and it helped Jones sort of slowly work his way into the side and, and develop. And the great you know, Jared Grant too. Don't forget him. And the great Jared Grant, but not necessarily have the right. attention of being That's the main right. man. I can't believe you didn't use that as one of the introduction things. I saw that um, Grant put up on Twitter. It was the microphone head cup. The Jared Grant oh, Cup or the microphone? The Jared, oh, a bit of both. He used a microphone. So, cup. yeah, the Jared Grant Cup in this case. Oh, yeah, God. well, I don't tend to use those cups. I tend to try and think of something something else, something something oh. creative or something. Who a was bit the Jared Grant cool. Cup? Who was, the, who was the medalist in that factor, I wonder? Oh, it'd have to be someone who, um, probably Nick Holman. Yes, yes, particularly, yes, that particular reward. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, he put his career higher in the first quarter. <laughs> with with uh, anyway with um, Jones, he he was the main man in, in pretty much his second full season at AFL level, and he was nowhere near prepared to take on that mantle, particularly in a side that was in you know entrenched in the bottom four. Difference between Eugle Hagen and and Liam Jones and Jared Grant, if you want to go down that path as well, is that Eugle Hagen has Bruce and he has Norton. And what we saw at the weekend was the ability to be able to play as the third tall and have that freedom. Because sure, target Eugle Hagen and then let Bruce off the chain, let Norton off the chain. And that and that that's, that's not something the clubs are going to want to do. They won't want to try and target Eugle Hagen and risk no. having a bad kicked on them by one of those two. And to no, be fair, that was, that was the case last week too, wasn't it? Yeah. And to with, be fair, Norton and, and Bruce were well held, one goal each between the two of them. But it, but having that extra tall stretches the defense to just a mm. bit too much. Which goal was your favourite? I've got to ask this one. Which Eugle Hagen goal was your favourite? Good God. I'm trying to wonder. I, I will answer that, though, Jenny. I'm just trying to wonder. For his second goal, the distance on that was, you know, quite far. That was above. That went, it went further than 50 metres. But his kick for the third goal probably went 50 metres high as well. <laughs> I'm <laughs> yes. trying to work that out. Went, that. A long, so, went a long way in the air. I love, I love the celebration of the third one, just the arms out, you know, the sort of the, the wolf on Wall Street. The United Cap. Yeah, it is nice. It is nice. That's that I, is a fun movie as well. I, so many I'm, scenes in that movie. I'm not something leaving. I don't think. Well, and I mean, to be fair, he did say that when he got his jumper presentation, didn't he? Too, Jamar. He did too. He did too. <laughs> or words to that effect. Yes, yeah, like we're going the uh, the B, BS. I think it was. Yeah, which yeah. is very appropriate, and, and I then, loved him doing that, calling a few people out there. And uh, uh, but the, what the first goal, the first goal. I mean, he'll remember the first goal forever. Oh. But they were all pretty good, weren't they? I'll go the second. I'm going to go the second. Seeing a key forward rooster from 50 is pretty, yeah, pretty bloody nice. 
It is. I'll have to think about it. I don't know. I loved all of them. Can I, I can't mm. say all of them. Yeah, there were there were elements of it, you know, whether it was the mark for the for the first one, whether it was the celebration for the third, or whether it was the roost home for the second. I think it's just I think that's how I'll have to, to categorize them each. Now we need to move on to the off-field news and some big news that's come out earlier today. We're recording this on the Monday. So earlier today, the news about Josh Dunkley. Now Dunkley spent always 12 weeks. I think I was on the sidelines with that shoulder injury. Just came back last week as uh, against the Suns, as we said, it's pretty, pretty good. Particularly in the first half, 21 disposals, uh, game high, seven tackles. I think it was. He is now going to be under quarantine for the next couple of weeks. He's going to enjoy a bit of stay at home time. So he attended a local cafe. It was, we don't know the, the cafe. I haven't got the name of it here, but it was on the 14th. So that was last Wednesday. And recently that's been revealed. So since Saturday's game, that's been uh, elevated as a tier one COVID exposure site. Now, for those who aren't aware of the, the guidelines in Victoria, tier one sites means that if you've attended uh, a tier one site under the certain day and time specified you have to get tested you have to quarantine for 14 days regardless of your results so even if you get a negative result you've got to stay at home for 14 days since he attended the site dunkley has been tested twice for covid both times it's returned negative uh, at this stage it doesn't have any impact on any of the other bulldogs teammates mm-hmm. staff or anyone from the opposition from the gold coast sons the quarantine period also starts from the day he attended the site not from when it became a tier one site so his quarantine has already started it started on this on the sorry on the 14th so when he attended the site so we're into day five of the 14 days even though Technically, he hasn't been quarantining at all during uh, the last five days. It still counts as part of the quarantine period. So he won't be available or won't be free until the 28th of July. That means he will not play in any match that goes ahead this week. Uh, Now, I say any match because we still don't know who we're playing or where we're playing them. At this stage, the fixture says we're playing Adelaide in Ballarat on Sunday, although I believe that's within the last hour. It's likely to now be against Melbourne on Saturday night. That's, that's as of uh, Tom Morris, I think it is. Okay, Fox so I, I heard that so, from Daniel Churney of The Age. But anyway. That's correct. Yeah, from both of them. So there you go. So two sources there. Yep. The interesting part of it, the real question is, well, if Dunkley was having a coffee on the on the Wednesday, where the heck was Adam Trelaw? Well, that's, this is a good question. So my theory is that the the relationship is, is broken down. Dunkley is unsettled and wants to go to Essendon. That's what I'm, what I'm hearing. What, what about Trelaw then? How do we deal with this? You know, surely the, the bulging salary cap, we have to let him go and, you know, surely offer, offload him for a second round draft pick and, you know, pay $300,000 of the cap. Possibly, possibly. But it's interesting, Trelaw wasn't there. There's trouble at the kennel, I tell yeah, you. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Those best buds, and they're, they're not even going to the same coffee, uh, same cafe anymore for the coffee. Mm. Disappointing. It's, it's tr- troubling times. The candle, Nick, is spot on. This is obviously quite serious. The good news, though, I suppose, is that it doesn't impact anyone else at this stage. It's just Dunkley. It's a bit, it's a bit confusing, though. So, because you were sort of talking to me about this beforehand, Nick, because you were questioning why. Dunkley has a quarantine when he's already got two negative results. Chances are he hasn't got it. Uh, but then I think, and I don't know whether it's you or what other people are suggesting, but he, even if he, if he does have it, he's been in contact with his teammates. 
He's been in contact the with the opposition. He's been, been tackling yeah. the heck out of the opposition. Seven, then, seven tackles. It's just, yeah, it's just ironic, isn't it? You know, you see them do those things too. No, no, I agree with you. And it's just ironic. You know, you've been tackling the heck out of a team or, you know, touching the ball and you know, roughly there's been what, 700 or 700 plus possessions in that game. Yeah. And then you just, it just sounds so ridiculous that you have to put on a mask after the match. This is, this is not where, saying where, not, but it's just bewildering logic. Where I, I see it as a bit of, this is where I see the mask wearing as a bit of virtue signaling. And, you know, the the keeping your distance when you're singing the song and all that sort of stuff. Like, I get why they do it, but it, and it sort of says, because, you know, that that's part of the rules and you, you've got to sort of promote the message. It just looks so disjointed when yeah, the message is so 10 confused, minutes earlier. Right? Yeah. You've been doing this. Yeah. It's not that the, the issue is wrong with it. It's just, yeah, it's like a contrast of opinions. They're was, both are, but both are right. It's just nothing it's wrong weird. with doing it. Like nothing wrong with them saying, "No, you got to wear a mask because of because of COVID and, and because of this." But it, it just defeats the purpose. Uh, running yeah. running around chasing the footy for a couple of hours defeats the purpose mm. of them wearing a mask. If someone in that game has COVID, they are passing it on to They're teammates and to oppositions. <laughs> they will do it regardless of whether they wear a mask or not post game. But, that, but that's an interesting thing because if they were playing a game, you would have to be deemed you know cleared to play so you would suspect that no one's going to have it anyways and no one that's in the environment whether it's coaching staff or physios or whoever else is there but besides the players and you know the ones with authority they all would have been cleared to enter the stadium anyways wouldn't they so they couldn't have had it in the first place now what who were they protecting themselves from exactly (laughs) now what i'm not sure about this as well with dunkley is whether he's actually allowed to come home because I, the because it was the obviously there was the chaos and the build up to the Giants Swans game and I'm I, I don't know the whole all the whole ins and outs of it at this stage. I think they're still ruled out. I think it's De Boer no, and Tabby Green is still ruled out though for this week too. No, no, not 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 necessarily that, but yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of Queensland's health guides. Are different yeah, to there's, there's a lot of di- yeah, there's a lot of change, and we're not to so, know this information. No, properly, but so. Yeah. Obviously, a tier one for for you or I, based in Victoria, we've got to stay in our homes. But Dunkley's home is not in is a different state, so I don't know what that that means. And obviously, we'll we'll report that when you know that news does come out. I don't know at this stage what that means, um, though. I I think it involves though. It's not just match day too, of course. It's also training as well. So if it is to be, he's going to have to definitely be by himself. Obviously, isolation. So the question is. Well, what happens then to keep himself, you know, match fit? And I'll put that in, you know, talking marks. So are they just going to drop off a drop off a, a bicycle or such at his home and a few dumbbells or such? Stay, yeah, stay at home gym or something like that. Have to figure that out. Some more news, and this is this is much more terrible news because at least in two weeks' time, suspect at least that Dunkley will be available for selection. Toby McLean's season is over at a training session at the Western Oval on Saturday. He ruptured his ACL again. The same, same, same knee, knee, apparently. Same knee. Well, this is such a shame because he, because oh, such a shame. Because I, I, I question whether he should have even. I think we did this. We questioned this last week. Should he have even been training at the Western Oval? I think he should have been up on the Gold Coast getting ready for a game of football. Mm. Again, that's just me, but uh, it's such a shame. It is because he's worked so hard to get back. They've trusted him so much that he's, he's come straight into the side. He's been playing good football. 
I'm not sure why he got why he got dropped, but he has, and and now he's he's injured again. No, we do tend to look after you know these types of players that do have long term injuries, and we we're do. very much willing to to back them. He still has a deal for next year. Um, the only, the only thing I can probably state about this now, it's not because it's a, a good result because of what's happened, but I think that this particular injury now would ward off opposition suitors come the end of the season or come the end of next year. They'd be a bit wary of it. So well, the I think only, there was, I think there the was similar. Silver line. Yeah. yeah. No, go on. No, I think there was similar talks last year as well that he may be looking was, elsewhere. Yeah. That was, it was more for the clarity of what his role was envisioned with the club. Well, he was happy with the team. There's not an issue. It's just more for where he fits in at this point in time. Yeah. And I'd say that because of these injuries, and this is again, not said in a, because of what's happened in a good way, but I think it's just that the flow and effect it'll reduce those suitors and I'd expect him to be with the dogs regardless, not just for this year, but for next year, but the seasons to come unless genuinely the knee obviously takes hold in a bad way. So in that sense, yes, I would expect him to be a dog for at least the short to medium term of his future. Cause you know, we'll, we'll back yeah. him in and try to get him right. And we've done that with Lin Jong. We've done that. Obviously Garcia is only second year, but he's had his knee injuries. We've had a few others, whether it's Libanel with his two knees. Clay Smith. Um, Clay Smith, of course, is another. There's Lucas a few Webb. examples. Redpath as well with the Ricos there too. Yeah. So but we're, we tend to look after our players quite well. And yeah. that's what I'm getting at there. I, I don't think another club would be willing to, to throw a long deal at him. And this is not, not because I'm talking trades and stuff by any means. I'm just stating. Yeah, this yeah. Regard. This is more of a business so, perspective. Yeah. Uh, some good news, though, on the, on the contract front. A couple of... Uh, Young pups signing new deals. So Riley Garcia, Sonny, and Lewis Butler are both signing contract extensions. So that will last them until the end of next season at this stage, which is uh, which is pretty good news, actually. Pretty pretty happy with that. Um, I think the only other thing I wanted to to run by you was an interview that uh, the great the great man. He's actually he's actually a member of the Sleeve Hall of Fame. This guy as well, Sam Power. We do love Sam Power. We do the, the hour of power. We saw man, that very much last the, year. The man whose name you'd love to touch, but you mustn't touch. Went on an interview, uh, Cal Toomey's Road to the Draft. And I've got to, uh, I've got to f- wrote down a few quotes because I wanted to, to get a bit of an idea on, on what he was saying. And we may actually um, write up a few of his quotes. But I did just want to get a, a few things out there because there are a few things that he said, um, which wanted to, to raise. So he spoke about lots of different talking points. Now the first one was Sam Darcy. We've, we've heard a bit about Sam Darcy, the, the young forward, the son of Luke, the grandson of David, uh, played as a forward ruck. And he was just asked a bit about what he said here. And he said, Sam is a fantastic kid. Uh, the, obviously this is Sam talking about Sam, power talking about Darcy. Sam is a fantastic kid, really impressed with his attitude, has a want to be a really good player. Has shot up over the past couple of years in terms of height. He's been playing down back for the Oakley Chargers, and he's been playing in the ruck slash forward position for Scotch College, a school that he goes to. He's about 203, 204 centimetres now. Uh, he's got the speed to play those positions at the... He's not only got the speed to play at those positions, but he's the skill as well. Playing forward comes more naturally to him at this stage, but there'll be more ruck time for him as he fills out. The but just, one. just you know, the his eyes are lighting up right there, aren't they? Now oh yeah, he, he hears he hears a player being able to play more than one position. Oh, that'll that'll do it. Uh, 
on Adam Trelaw, so a few things about Adam Trelaw. He said, we had a pretty clear plan to bring in another Ruckman and some different attributes up forward. And he's referring obviously to Martin and Hannon with those. Adam came up a bit later than normal, uh, but once he was potentially available, um, there was, they, they felt that Adam would add fantastic attributes to the midfield, um, irrespective of what happened with Dunkley. Um, once a player that, that actually, I love that very much there. Cause this wasn't clearly at the forefront of our mind. We weren't expecting anything, no. but the fact is that power is able to seize an opportunity. You know, he sees the opportunity and then he sees on it. He takes it. Yeah. Which is even more impressive. Uh, he said, obviously, once a player of that caliber becomes available, it registers our interest. Uh, he also said on the on the uh, on trade deadline day last year, he said there were a lot of phone calls. I think the fact that we got the Martin and Hannon deals done a couple of days out probably made things easier. Uh, from our end, we had a really clear plan, and and I I interpreted that as 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 us saying Essendon get stuffed, you know, yes. getting done. Uh, you were clearly. talking about you were talking about phone calls. I was saying it would have been on pretty much speed dial for Andrew Dodori. Hello, yep. Sam. I just wanted to talk about Dunkley. Uh, no phone hangs up or whatever it is. That's all it is. Um, he does say though that we wanted to keep Josh, but respected his request to trade with Essendon and explore a trade for him as far as we could. But really, we had a clear plan with where we saw the value with Josh, and it was the same with Adam. Said the same thing was with Adam. Yeah. That not, um, even just, not even just that too, because people would think, oh, we'll trade Dugley. Well, those picks would have been eaten up by Jamara anyways. Yeah, and we got Jamara regardless by keeping Dugley and getting Trelaw. So it wouldn't have made any sense to regardless to let them go anyhow. Uh, speaking of, of first round picks, he said that trading this year's first round pick is definitely a consideration, uh, obviously with an impending bid for, for Sam Darcy. Wollongs at this stage only have a first and a fourth round pick. Um, and in respect to a couple of out of contract players that they refer to, Wallace, Mitch Wallace, Lewis Young, and Patrick Lipinski, Power said they're three players that we really want to retain and hopefully over the course of the back end of the year, we'll work towards that. So well, that's interesting. We'll work towards that. Yeah. So I don't think works. it's clearly it's not at the forefront of their minds, which is interesting. That's how I'm interpreting that message. We'll well, work towards that. There were a couple it's of other players. Discussions, yeah, yeah, there were a couple of other players that they spoke about with contracts as well. They mentioned Cody Waitman is out of contract this year. They also mentioned uh, Jack McRae, Josh Dunkley was another one. I think Tim English. I think all three of those are out of contract at the end of and next season. Caleb Daniel as well. Caleb Daniel already there. So there's a there's there's probably a few higher priority signings in the end of next year that they'd rather get on top of first, uh, and that and that's probably why working towards that is the uh, is the the phrase that he used there. We'll I'll post that one because I wanted to put that one up there, and we'll just sort of put a transcript of that one so you'll be able to. There's other topic talking points as well. There was something about Bailey Smith and, and a couple of other things as well. So we'll get to, to that in time. A couple of questions now from our fans. Love these for our fan questions. Thank you. So the first one is from at Moon Patrol 33, regular contributor, Dr. Jason Seuss. A question you probably can't answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Little does Jason realize that him assuming we can't answer the question will just make us more determined to try and answer the question. At what point of the season do we pick our best team instead of the selection bingo approach? If the grand final was this week, at least three of the players who played on the weekend aren't playing. Selection bingo or, or Bevo shenanigans, as I like to call it. Uh, I think we've, we've, we've discussed this, maybe not 
answered this particular question, but I think we've discussed the idea of selection throughout the year and the idea of, of picking a best team and staying with it. If I think back to about rounds five, six, we sort of spoke about the idea of making changes for changes sake and then having to make more changes when a couple of injuries come up and it just unsettles that the was side. More for That was more for the compensation of it. So then you have yeah. to overcompensate to, to readjust the balance too. Yeah. So it's been very strange. And then we spoke, I think, after the oh, – which one was it now? Who did we played before? North Melbourne, after the North Melbourne game. This is the second one. Uh, so it was only a couple of weeks ago. We spoke about the idea of rotating the squad to get a couple of games under the belt of players who have spent most of the season in the VFL in case something happens in the finals where someone goes down, like a Norton goes down and we've got to play Shaqie who's only played one game or, or Dumar at that point who hadn't played at all. In terms of the, in terms of the, the, I guess the question of, of what point do we just start going with the best side and treating every game like a must win? When does that start? Probably this week, I'd suggest. I'd well, say we still are playing the right amount of plays. You know, we can still get away with it with having at least each week sixteen to seventeen players that we would deem should be in the side and put their names straight down, but. It's, it's different. The players that are coming in, it's not that they're doing a poor job by any means, but obviously we know they're more for the replacement side of things. Yeah. And, you know, they're more the role players. I mean, there's nothing wrong per se, like with, for instance, say, Rourke Smith. Okay. But obviously he's not going to, well, at least he featured in a final last year. Yep. We personally wouldn't think that he'd be in our best 22, but there's nothing wrong at times with him featuring in the best 22 to, to fill in a certain need. It's just a matter of how much do you want to try to fix up that particular need. And until certain players, say like a like the Vandermeer, provided he gets fit, can fill that yep. need a bit more. Isn't that right? Yeah, and I'm and I'm fine with that as well. And just have it and using the squad when it's there. But at what point do you start to go, right, well, we can't really we, we can't afford to do that anymore. Now we've got to start, you know. Because banking these wins, you know, scrappy as they are, is still good. You still rather bank these wins, like wins against the Suns, against North Melbourne. Not great games, but at this stage, you'll just sort of take the wins. When do you start taking the wins, but really considering how well you're playing as well? Admittedly, there are a few players to come back, and there's a couple of players who you can't take back because they're either injured or quarantining in this case. But I think it's a, I think it's a good question, and I think well, this week would be a great litmus test. Yeah, we'd hope so, anyways. Because if assuming it is against a Melbourne. Couple of- it should be, but you've still got to give yourself <coughs> not just um, not just the weeks to, to to pick your best side, but you've got to give them, like what we were mentioning earlier before, a couple of weeks even more to to give them the chance to build that continuity and to get used to each other once again. Yep. You don't want to disrupt that balance nonetheless, but you're still going to have that time to make them readjust and, and settle once again. So ideally, as, as you said, and as I've said before, this should be the week that we start to have that mark down and looking to establish the best side. Speaking of the best side, uh, a question from Daz2016 underscore. Steph Martin, Trelaw, Wood, probably the three big ones from the 22 that are out that need to come in. Uh, whose spots do they take? It's an excluding Dunkley this week. So let, let's look at the players who, who are either out of the side last week or who will be out of the side this week, um, or, or both in some instances, and trying to figure out who's still to come back in. So you've obviously got those four, Martin, Wood, Trelaw, Dunkley. 
You've got Liberatore to come back in. You've got, I would think, Vandermeer to come back in. You've also got Gardner potentially to come back in as well. I would think if the Bulldogs had a full supplement of players to choose from, I'd say they'd pick Gardner ahead of Cordy and ahead of Young. I, yes, I personally I, I think so. I, so I think in the pecking order, this is how I'd go with it. It's clearly not how they're going with it, but I would say that Young is ahead of Cordy. Gardner is ahead of Young. So this is your personal? This is this is me personally, yep. Yeah. So this is your personal one. I, I think Gardner, Garner and Keith are the the one two. And I think if the full midfield is available, the full midfield complement is available, you can think you can get away with two key defenders because as we've said earlier, the midfield defense, you know, or the 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 mm. you know, the team defense, the midfield is that good that it protects the defense. So I think you get away too. with Gardner's got a bit of reach as well. Yeah. Too. And he's What's also one thing? of the and that, that's another because you were mentioning before about the the act of spoiling, weren't yeah. we? He's okay. very good at there's that. There's a lot garden, of uncertainty. Yeah. Exactly. He's very good at that. There's mm-hmm. a clear defined role for him to do that. It's not just the idea of spawning the ball too, but you know it's going to be with with the confidence that he's going to that he's going to kill it off quite well. And he gets a good piece of it too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So Martin, Wood, Trelaw, Dunkley, Gardner, Vandermeer are the six that I've got. Are there any others that you would add to that that, that aren't in oh Liberatore? Did mention oh, that speaks for, he speaks for himself. Then. Yeah, but that means that's seven players that have to come in. So can you think of anyone else who, who who's not playing at the moment out. that that comes oh, in? God. Yeah, I and then that's, that's the other thing. I think that's pretty much it. And then you've got to think of, of seven players to bring out. Okay, let's have a look. So off the basis of the most recent team that we put forward. Yep. Who the heck? Because it's strange too, because I don't want to see the likes of Garcia get removed out, nor do I want to see Jamara, for instance. But it's probably going to be certain role players, you know. Like even Crozier is going to have to be a bit careful too. And he's not a role player by any means, but this year he's sort of become that. Um, But Anthony Scott, who had his first game this season, which, you know, wasn't used as a start. He was a medical sub, but he didn't. He's played every game. So he doesn't count. He doesn't count for this 22. He doesn't count. No, he does not. So I would say McNeil, Johannesson, Rourke Smith, yeah. Cordy are the, fir- I mean, the are the first four that I would take out. And yeah. Jah- so so uh, McNeil for uh, – well, I mean, because they're not all like for like though. So I'd be bringing in talls right. for smalls as well. Right. So I'd be bringing in Gardner for Cordy. I'll be bringing in Rourke Smith probably for Trelaw, Johannesson for Vandermeer, hmm. and then you've got Liberatore, Steph Martin, and Dunk and Dunkley coming in for Garcia, McNeil, and, and oh, well, I mean that's the question. I think yeah. it probably would be Jamara because if you're mentioning about the two talls, well then you might not need or two talls to back. You might get away with it having two talls once again early this year because you can still use English. But this is where it gets really interesting. There's been slight little speculations. I said we can't confirm. I genuinely can't confirm this, but there's been slight speculations that uh, Steph Marson that might be it for the season, and that changes. That puts a whole other you know ball game. You know whether it puts English forward. Do we play the three tools up forward now? If he was fit, do we do we bother playing sweet? You know, go with the two rucks and go back to the two tall structure up forward. It's a whole new can of worms right there. Well, then that's, a, that's the case. Then that's a choice between Eugle Hagen and Sweet. Because if it's Eugle Hagen, then English is the full-time ruck. 
But if it's sweet, then English places the third tall and sweet is the number one Ruckman. So would they prefer sweet as a number one Ruckman or Hagen as a third tall? Oh, God. That's, I, what, it, that's what it comes down to then. Then it depends that, on the forward that, setup too, doesn't but that, it? But that's only assuming that Martin is out for the season. Yes. Nothing genuine there. Just, just little, little speculations, but um, hopefully it's not the case. And we'll, we'll just we'll power through the last couple. Um, Daz, surely Lewis Young is a better option than Cordy. Well, personally, I think so. I mean, I, 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 I don't understand how Young continues to come out of that side. What did he, what did he do that was so terrible against Sydney last week? Because he wasn't really replaced. He wasn't replaced by a tall. He was playing as that swing man that was, it's not his, he's not his go. And Lewis Young, and I've, I've got it up here because I wanted to have a look. He played seven games in a row to start his career. He played two games in a row in 2018. He played two games in a row and then three games in a row in 2019. Which was four, quite a surprise that last three. It just happened. Four, four if you want to count round one 2020. Then he played two games in a row in 2021, one game in a row, and then another two games in a row. I mean, how do you expect the player to get continuity if, if you're putting him in for two weeks and you're taking him out for two months, three months, four months? I'm sorry. Uh, this, it's, it's really challenging because there's a lot of things that young, Young's best attributes are certainly more suited to what we're wanting. Yeah. And that's what I believe the club also would agree with that. Um, I just think it's just general positioning around the ground. You think if Cordy doesn't have a lot of awareness in that sense, but is more disciplined than other things, I think that's probably where Young's a bit lacking. The more such, it seems like he has to be the type that has to have the ball in his vicinity to be able to contribute in that regard. But he can develop his game. He can develop. Again. I'd like to see him. But he's only he's only as a, as a the, center half back. He's only but. played twenty games. He's played one of them as a forward at least. He's played another couple just sort of playing as a ruck. He's played one as a medical sub. There's no there's no continuity. I mean, this is when you should say, right, well, give him a go. Because I, I because we don't know what guard, what young ceiling is because we don't really get an opportunity for him to have an extended run in the side. Because what no. happens if he comes back in this week and then he gets dropped again? Well, it must be terribly frustrating for him. And I feel really bad be, for him. It would be frustrating, but it's ironic at the same time as too, it seems like his reputation grows more from being out of the side than in the side. It's not that he does a bad job, but it seems like he's becoming one of those types of players. Well, I, I wonder if I wonder if people are are deciding on the lesser of two evils because he's not very well rated when he's in the side. But now he's out of the side, people are are, are jumping are getting on Cordy's case. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how people think. I, I wonder if that's it, though, because it doesn't seem like either of them are particularly popular when they are playing in the seniors. Uh, one final one I've got here, and I think you've got a you've got a couple as well. Can we win the premiership with this defence? So this is from the at franchise player. Personally, franchise player doesn't think so. Keith is the key. Um, can that can the can we win the defence with? Or can we win the premiership with this defense? If Keith is in it, yes, we can do it. Because yes, this yes, because I'd say so too. It because again, it's not just about the midfield, but Keith is that important to the side that if he's not there, we cannot win it. No, I'd agree with both those statements. I think it's just the factors too in the games that we've been, you know, apparently exposed, 
whether it was last week or the, the Demons game or the Richmond match. You know, the Geelong match didn't really expose us at all, per se, because we stood no. up to it and they stood up to it as well. It's more the fact is that the it was the other end of the ground that was, uh, you know, found exposed and left a bit wanting. That was the forward half. And they just, you can't, I think I did the numbers last week. I think we've averaged 58 points in those respective three matches. And you're not going to win many games of football when you're, you know, scoring only 58 points against, you know, top sides. No. The defence was holding them to about 13 goals, which is, you know, which is beatable. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a great number, but it's not a groundbreaking number by any means. Yeah. You know, so I'd say it's more the other end of the ground. Ideally, you don't want to expose your defence to the to what we saw on the on the Saturday evening, you know, with the one on ones, because we know there is a genuine flaw there. You can't deny that, and we yep. try to protect that as much as we can. But it's still got us this far, so it's still capable in those in those patches. We just don't want to have those forum moments become extrapolated out as the season progresses. So. Yeah, we'll have to notice. We'll, we'll probably see a bit more of a bigger test this week too against the D's when they have uh, Ben Brown playing in the side as well, most likely, mm. you know, with, with Tom McDonald. And then in other weeks too with other key position threats that could expose us there. I still think we can win it though with this defence, but yes, not with not the with out, then not, not a hope. Okay, and you've got a couple of questions there, Nick, very quickly. We, we've got one from Paul Anthony. So the question is, do we rest Bontempelli? Seeing as there was the idea of him being brought up with a particular injury he would have suffered a couple of weeks ago. I wouldn't, so, yeah, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be against that for one game, but got to be, got to be, got to be careful that which game we, we're talking about here. It's got to be, it's got to be a game where you would expect us to win even without him. So not this week, not resting him this so week. That, so that comes down to then oh, well, Essendon, for instance, you know, we just rock up and beat them anyways. Um, yeah. you know, it'd probably be the, the Hawthorne or the Crows game. But I'd be probably more inclined to pick the Hawthorne match down in Tasmania, I'd say. Yeah. At this point. I mean, there is also the pre-finals buy to consider, and there is there is a bit of a push that we actually put the season on hold this week as well. Obviously, that's all just speculation. Mm. But yeah. it may that was from Cam Luke, of course. Yeah, may so just it's a bit interesting. Yeah. May be taken out of our hands anyway to our benefit. And you've got one about Shacky. It's interesting from from Paul Anthony again. So obviously the Suns are looking to potentially acquire another mature key forward, okay? And their first round is up for grabs as well. Now, obviously, he's not stating regarding, you know, Sun's first pick, which is currently pick four, I think, at this point, uh, for Shaggy. But in, t- in terms of enticing the Suns, what else do you suspect would go with Shaggy? We've mentioned Sam Powers looking to, you know, trade up our first round pick. We've got a first and a fourth. We still have all of next year's allocation of points, at this point in time, we can't trade though more than two first round picks over a four year period. No, so we cannot. We've traded we last year's we pick. Can? Well, we traded last year's pick, and if we'll, and I would suspect that we're going to trade this year's pick as well. Mm. So it means we can't yes. trade next year's pick. No, those well, rules can be pretty flexible though, as we've seen Geelong trade four years worth of picks and get away with it. We've, so we've been, what can be packaged with Shacky? <laughs> we've been pretty consistent that if, if you know we're going to trade Shacky because he's under contract, the club would have to pay overs, which I think is fair. And I think pick four is, is overs. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with, with Shacky for pick four. <laughs> I'll be, be quite happy for that, to be honest. <laughs> I think, Not because I think, of Shacky, but we'll take it. <laughs> I, think, I, think that's, I think that's a win-win. Suns get the key forward after we get a first round pick. I would say, though, that we run into the same problems that we did last year, that any first round pick we bring in would be chewed up on Darcy. So it's all well and good to trade in that first round pick, but you're probably going to want to use it elsewhere. 
Yeah, so you'd have to probably package it down for a few seconds anyways. Either either trade either, I mean there's a couple of things you could do. You could you could trade the pick four, I mean, like hypothetically speaking, you could trade the pick four on for a player from another club, maybe a key defender that's available on the market. Um, or you could trade it for a plethora of second round picks. I think the Bulldogs want to go into the draft again without a first round pick. I think that's I think that's the plan. Yeah. Um, with that but one. Personally, like people would say, also even Mitch Wallace and these other types of footballers, there, some are free agents, so they can just walk. But the yeah. interesting thing is you could have a under, you know, an under table handshake agreement, you know, overcompensate us for Mitch Wallace and we'll give you an extra first round pick to, to be traded up there. So give them the two firsts and a couple of players to get their uh, early first rounder. But that would probably be better draft tampering potentially. So the AFL doesn't like that. We'll give you, we'll give you, we'll give you pick six so long as you let us take Jade Rawlings with pick one in the in the preseason mm. draft. Or you so could have, you could have like. the same thing too. Overcompensate uh, for Melbourne. This is overcompensate for the Jesse Hogan thing, and the Giants won't bid on Jack Viney in the top ten, and he slid to twenty six. <laughs> yeah, but it just about do it's, it's only it's only us that apparently gets these favors with oh, like yeah. Jamara and such. Yeah, no, it's, we benefit all the time. It's unfair. Just before we go, coaches votes because they've just come through. Marcus Bonson-Pelly with nine, Tuke Miller, seven, Alex Keith, five, Jack McRae, three, Bailey Smith, three, Bailey Dale, two, Sam Collins, one. Means Bonson-Pelly is equal first with Clayton Oliver. So don't this be an interesting match against Melbourne? Should it go ahead? That's going to be it from us for another jam-packed week, jam-packed episode of the Salty Bulldog. Nick, I want to thank you for joining us as you do every week. Uh, to all of those listening around the world, we really do thank you for your time. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, The Salty Bulldog, wherever you get your podcasts. Our social media channels on Twitter, at The Salty Bulldog, Facebook, at The Salty Bulldog, Instagram, the.salty.bulldog, and www.thesaltybulldog.weeksite.com forward slash home for our website. It's been great having you tune in for another week. Nick Lear, as I've said, thank you. I'm Matthew Donald. Thank you to our listeners, wherever you are. And until next week, take care.